Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I hope that you are healthy and well and safe. And I thank you for tuning in. The culinary landscape is ever evolving. And so on this show every week, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs and molecular gastronomers, bloggers and passionate food enthusiasts, cookbook authors, and more. We dish on fabulous food and wine and spirits, health, and living the best life. So I hope that you will not miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I hope that you are continuing to cook and cope and cook and cope and that you tune in every Monday for my cook along on Facebook Live, four o'clock Pacific Daylight Time every Monday. I'll meet you there. Of course, I've got lots of gastronomic inspiration and my daily dish on social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. If you happen to have missed a show or you want to master a topic, you can find my podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And if you love to cook or love to eat, then I like to say we can definitely be friends, but you are no doubt in the right place. Let me set the table for you, if I may. We have a stellar group of guests this hour, and I am delighted to tell you that Chef Ned Baldwin is standing by. Coming up, he is going to share his first published work, in fact, You might know his name. He is the extraordinary culinary talent that came out of Prune Restaurant in New York to open his own called Houseman in New York City. And he has delivered a cookbook that is so brimming with uniqueness and beautiful insight and instruction. And if you want to make the best roast chicken of your life, well, then you'll stay tuned. Chef Ned Baldwin coming up. Also, we are having a wine and cheese party and you're invited. Yes, grab your glass and maybe whatever cheese you have in the bin. Charles Duke is here and we're sharing cheeses of Europe and pairing for the perfect party with National Wine and Cheese Day coming up. And because times are tough right now and so maybe you'll have a virtual wine and cheese party with your friends or just a small socially distanced one with family around. But what a wonderful time to increase your cheese knowledge. Stay tuned, Charles Duke, coming up. But first, I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts to make you the best cook you know. And if you want to become a culinary force to be reckoned with, well, then you need to master certain basic skills, right? At the start of the shows uh, every week, I share a fundamental procedure or a cooking method and... I hope it makes you hungry. Seafood lovers, rejoice. Because there are so many wonderful things about summer, right? There's farmer's market freshness. If there happens to be one near you, please go safely. Uh, There's the beauty of pool wine, as I call it. It's light and refreshing and it's perfect by the pool. Uh, There's, oh, the sheer delight of a picnic. Oh, it's the sweetness of summer. And then, of course... 
There is ceviche. So this is a love story about ceviche. I think it's like a kiss from the sea. And if you happen to love fish or shellfish in any regard, well, the pearly sweetness of bright acid and aromatic cooked fish, and I say it in quotes, cooked, contrasting with a crunchy tortilla chip or a crispy cracker, I mean, there might be nothing more refreshing. And I love ceviche. It's clean eating. It's full of flavor. It's super easy. And you look like a culinary hero when you spoon it into a margarita or an oversized martini glass or even a coconut shell. And you fill the base with salty chips. And then you just dig in, right? So ceviche is an obsession in Peru. Um, It's a standard starter in Ecuador. It is a culinary tradition all across South America. I happen to have had extraordinary ceviche in Chile from a a chef restaurateur who combines Peruvian and Japanese cuisine outstandingly. I've also had brilliant ceviche in Hawaii. And so since we're virtually traveling, um, wait till you hear about my passion fruit ceviche, but that's coming up. Ceviche dates back to the earliest inhabitants. The Incas preserved their fish with fruit juice, salt, and chili peppers. And then the Spanish conquerors introduced the now essential lime. And according to gastronomic wisdom, the acid from citrus juice actually does cook the fish, but it's really the citric acid that alters the structure of the protein in the fish, which makes it opaque and firm as if it had been cooked with heat, right? Uh, The acid does not work the same as heat would, though. So you want to be mindful that it's very important to start with the freshest, cleanest fish possible. So ceviche is traditionally or often made with sea bass or flounder, but almost every fish will do uh, and will work, by the way. I love shrimp and scallops or even salmon and scallop for textural complexity. The other ingredients that you add depend upon your palate, of course. Um, Ecuadorian ceviche is often made with shrimp and ketchup in addition to lime juice. And then they toss in corn nuts for texture, which I love. And in Peru, the ceviche is garnished with thinly, thinly shaved red onion. And you get some red chili pepper in there too. So back to that delectable ceviche just mentioned. Actually inspired by a trip to Maui from many years ago, I make a ceviche today that's marinated in passion fruit juice, and you want uber fresh fish and passion fruit juice or puree, which you can often find in the frozen section of your supermarket or especially in an Asian market. Um, It was at Alan Wong's in Maui, you know the chef. And it was so outrageously delicious. It had subtle sweet notes and a little bit of bite from jalapeno. And I make it still to this day. And you might find ceviche recipes that use coconut milk or avocado or mango. And I say, bring it on. I mean, let your palate dictate the ingredients, right? So the next time you see some really fresh, beautiful fish at the store, or if you go to your fishmonger, why not bring some home and invent a ceviche de casa, right? The ceviche of your house. And so here are my best tips for soon to be famous ceviche. That's yours all summer long. So the best kind of fish for ceviche, if you're looking for the ultimate, is a semi-firm white fleshed ocean fish, sea bass, 
uh, striped bass, grouper, sole, or flounder. You're going to stay away from the oily fish like mackerel or tuna or bluefish. And when you're making ceviche, you want to cut all of the pieces evenly uh, or size them evenly so that they marinate evenly. And then anything else that you add should be contrasting but complementing to that shape of the fish per se. Like if you're going to add peppers or onions, I recommend you small dice them. And I always suggest that you marinate the fish for at least 20 minutes. Anything under that time, you often still get a, a raw appearance and it doesn't really absorb the flavor. You want to ensure that the lime juice in a traditional ceviche has been absorbed and you don't want to go longer than an hour because then the fish starts to fall apart. It breaks down. Now, you need enough acid. You could use lemon or lime juice. Those are the highest acid citrus to make ceviche. And you need a half a cup of lime juice to every one pound of fish. And that ratio will ensure that your fish is properly cured. And then I like to keep this fish separate from whatever vegetable additions I have. It prevents the veggies from sort of going mushy or uh, bleeding color. I mix it last minute, although it's just a quick mix because everything's been done ahead of time. And then, of course, get your tortilla chips ready for dipping because now I'm hungry, right? I really do believe that great ceviche is easy to make and nearly impossible to mess up. And posted at chefjamie.com, you'll find a simple Mexican-style ceviche, which is lime juice and orange juice, and then my passion fruit ceviche. Of course, I'll always send recipes directly to you. Just email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com with your request. All right, stay tuned, because there is lots more to stimulate your food-loving mind. Coming up, Chef Ned Baldwin, right after this. You don't want to miss it. He's full of gloriously delicious insight and instruction. When we come back, Chef to Chef. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, dishing it up. I often say that we have incredible culinary thinkers on this show, and this next conversation proves it. Chef Ned Baldwin earned an MA in sculpture from Yale, pursued a career in visual arts and building, but it was the art and science of cooking that fascinated him. He apprenticed with Alain Ducasse and Jean-Georges, and also worked with Tom Colicchio at Kraft, before becoming the chef de cuisine at New York's renowned Prune. Today, he is the owner of Houseman in New York City. He's a fisherman and a hiker, a cycler, a traveler, and an eater, which is why we love him. And now he's a published author. Ned is a home cook who taught himself to be an excellent chef. 
and that's an understatement. And he doesn't see any reason why anyone else can't do the same. So he's showcasing one ingredient per method. And this just-released stellar cookbook of his is an absolutely beautiful and brilliant representation of his extraordinary skills and the fact that you can learn them from him and prepare endless pleasurable meals. So you take a hanger steak, you get a big beefy hit, he says. You master salad making or roast an explosively juicy chicken and you're golden. He's here to share his secrets and I am so thrilled to welcome Chef Ned Baldwin to the show. Hi, Chef. Very glad to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm yes. excited to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled. Congratulations. The book entitled How to Dress an Egg, Surprising and Simple Ways to Cook Dinner, uh, is really, a, uh, I think it's a beautiful representation of you and what you do. And I see a lot of cookbooks. It's very unique. It's different. The approach is fresh. Uh, did, you, uh, did you love every second of it? I know you poured your heart into it. Yeah, well, it was, I mean, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. My co-writer uh, Peter Kaminsky was someone who I've read uh, for many, many years, I, both as a fisherman. He writes wonderfully about fishing uh, and about food. He's written some really, really uh, important and uh, books that just meant a lot to me. So uh, when he approached me and said, you want to do a book? I, I kind of couldn't, I had to pinch myself. <laughs> couldn't honestly. believe it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, the title, How to Dress an Egg. Give us a little bit of background, please. I, I, expected sure. an, I expected an egg book, to be very honest. Well, we knew that was a risk when we right. named it that, but the turn of phrase, it was so apt to what the, what the book does that we, we went with it. Um, we served something in the restaurant called a dressed egg, and we made a chapter in the book about them. Yes. Uh, they perfectly fit the model of the book, which is we teach you something very, very simple, like how to boil an egg or poach a piece of fish or roast a chicken or cook a hanger steak. And then we give you several ways to dress those things up. So yeah. it starts with a, a really, really redu like reduced, simple method that we encourage people to, I don't really believe in the concept of mastery, but we encourage people to kind of wrap their head around and, and see if they can get good at it. And then once they have that in the bag, that simple method tastes great and as simple as good on the table just by itself. Uh, but once they have that, then they can sort of build on that and use that as a building block to make other uh, delicious things. Yes, and if you choose not to use the word mastery, we could go with practice makes perfect, right? You, you make enough roast chickens and you get enough really great advice from talented chefs like yourself and you will have the pretty close to perfect roast chicken that you then crave every Sunday, right? And becomes your standard Sunday supper. That's the premise, as you talk about, of the book. And you say it in the introduction. And I thought, well, that just perfectly described what it was you had set out to do. Learn to cook one thing exceptionally well, and I quote, and you open the door to a multitude of possibilities. That's what you say. And I love that concept. I think from a culinary school per perspective, and I went to culinary school a long time ago, and you are um, self-taught and uh, trained under the finest. Isn't that the goal, yeah. uh, right? I mean, wasn't it repetition to create yeah. perfection? For myself, perfection and mastery kind of live in the same space. I, I'm, uh, you know, I think... Um, 
How about I aspirational? Think happens once in a while. Sure. I like to think about cooking as like a as like a, a theater sort of like mm. it's something you do every day. Like they put on the show every day, and some days your performance is one way, and some days another. Some days it's perf- not perfect is the wrong word. Like some days you're like on point every little, and then some days it's weird and inspired mm. and. You know, it's it's such an everyday thing. Right. Um, you know, we're just trying to make delicious food for the people we love mostly. Yeah. I, uh, I love that. I love that perspective. Thank you for sharing it. Um, I know the restaurant is open now, Houseman, right? You're um, serving outside, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot wait to come and have a dressed egg on my next trip. Uh, but <laughs> being that we have you um, in our radio, um, please teach us. So I can't wait to try all of the recipes, but I rabbit-eared in the book, um, you know, my top four in order that I will make and give you credit for. And I think the first that reigns supreme is a roast chicken. I make a roast chicken for Sunday supper. It's the way my mom made it, and then I've, to use your term, dressed it uh, multiple different ways. Um, But you share some deep secrets here about the oven, that will make my chicken better. And for that, I'm grateful. So, uh, so spill it, will you please, chef? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So the way, um, most home ovens are built, there's a, a burner, whether it's electric or gas or propane or whatever, uh, on the bottom. And then there's a metal plate on top of that. And that's, that's definitely universally true of, of uh, commercial ovens, um, regular gas commercial ovens. Yes. And so what that is, what it turns into ultimately is a very low burner if you set a pan right on top of that metal plate on the floor of your oven. Um, so that's how we advocate cooking the chicken. We, we uh, in the book, it's a butterfly chicken. I'm, I'm sort of an impatient person. There are some recipes in the book that take a real long time, and, but others that are kind of fast. So I'm, if I can, I can get a great chicken in, in uh, you know, 25 to 35 minutes, I'd rather do that than, in, than an hour uh, if I can. And so when the chicken's butterflied, uh, it cooks a little more efficiently. And also you can cook it with the entirety of the skin, uh, down to the pan. And when you do it in the, using the method we give the skin, it turns into almost like a mm. cracker. It's mm. very, very crispy and mm. stays crispy, uh, in a way that it wouldn't if you cooked it the entire way on the rack, because the, as the chicken cooks, it renders liquid and without, a little additional heat under the pan, which the floor of the oven gives, uh, that liquid, you know, impedes the skin crisping. Sure. And I love how you talk about it at the start, at the intro of the recipe, that you're not fussy about how the interior of your oven looks, right? You're using (laughs) the oven floor, essentially, and you'll you'll leave it just that way for the ultimate chicken. Yeah. Yeah, very smart. Yeah. I can't wait to try it. Absolutely fabulous. And I happen to love a butterfly or a spatchcocked chicken. So I think there's no need to wait for the whole thing to roast until juices run clear if you can speed up the process. I mean, that means dinner's ready quicker, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm all, I'm all for that. Thing. Yes. There is more extraordinary cuisine in your radio right after this. Ned, please don't go away. We have so much more to learn from you. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back.
We're back and we're dishing. Chef Ned Baldwin is here, chef proprietor of Houseman, New York City, formerly, of course, at the helm of Prune, the much-renowned, and his first cookbook release, A Stunner. A roasted rack of lamb, a thing of beauty, to me doesn't have a season. I think that, you know, any time of year, uh, but you make one um, with a mint chimichurri that sounds outrageous. Well, the rack itself is pretty outrageous all by itself. My kids, uh, it's one of my, their favorite things to eat, and for what it's worth, it was one of my favorite things to eat hmm. uh, when I was their age. Um, but I guess it's worth saying Pete, Pete uh, Kaminsky, he wrote uh, Francis Malman's book. Yes. Uh, so Francis is an Argentine chef. Uh, and in it, I think he, he, in the writing, he became uh, <laughs> maybe an expert on, uh, on chimichurri. So that, that chimichurri kind of came out of Pete. Oh, how um, cool. Like your grandma, my mother has a jar of mint jelly still in her fridge. <laughs> and my wife. Yes. And, and I, I really have no, oh, you cringe. I have no problem with it. If you want mint jelly, have mint jelly. And if you want ketchup, have ketchup. More mint chimichurri yeah. for me. My wife is using currently has yeah. a really unusual shade of green. Oh, uh, it's chartreuse, is it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. She she won't know we're talking about her. Um as uh, far as the the lamb, uh, your your secret if you would. Well, you know, uh here's the thing. Uh, you know, I started out as a home cook. I've been an eater and loved restaurants and read everything I could get my hands on about food. And I kind of I, I have a history of my um my hobbies kind of getting out of control. And this is definitely an example of that cooking was a hobby. And all of a sudden I found myself in professional kitchens with a silly tall hat and aprons and knives and the whole nine yards. And, uh, what that ended up being, I think was like, I was like a home cook spy in a restaurant universe. And I found that lots of things that happen in restaurant kitchens are utterly useless to the home cook. But there are a few things that are like, wow, I kept thinking like, wow, I wish I had known that, <laughs> you know, mm. when I, or I'm, I'm glad I know that so I can use it when I cook dinner for eight people next week, right. whatever. So hmm. I think the big trick of the lamb is that, um, you know, everybody tells you to rest meat and they say you should rest it for at least, but they don't think about the back end, like at least eight minutes or at least 12 minutes. Well, what about you could rest it for two hours? You know, or what about you could rest it for 12 hours? Um, and, hmm. you know, I think the, the earlier one, like, you can cook your rack of lamb at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when you're by yourself in the house and everything's cool and you're doing the laundry or whatever. And then when people come over, all you have to do is reheat it a little bit and slice it and you're off to the races. And you already know you succeeded. There's no hmm. stress. Genius. Um, so, you know, one of the big pickups from uh, working in the restaurant environment is, how many things you can do ahead of time yes, or what's great to do ahead of time and what you shouldn't do ahead of time. Which I don't think um, many great cooks are often aware of and certainly not restaurant goers, right? I mean, the fact that the lamb is perfect is because somebody made love to the lamb when it wasn't the height of service with 200 people there or on the books, yep. right? And you're right. I, there is a, a genius in pouring yourself a glass of wine and uh, without stress, cooking or searing that rack of lamb and finishing it in between folding the laundry and then actually having a few minutes before everybody comes over with the peace of mind, the lamb is perfect. And I love that you say you can reheat it. You flash it in a hot oven. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and dinner's ready. You actually get to enjoy the party too, which I like yeah. to say is the most important. And those are um, very amazing genius tips that you learned uh, either at home or at the restaurant, and then have applied to the opposite, which I think makes you the talent that you are. Okay, <laughs> could you please teach us to gently cook shrimp? I think that's a really interesting approach. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Ned Baldwin is here. Yes, the chef of Houseman and the owner in uh, New York City, uh, much renowned for his culinary experience, self-taught, and an incredible talent. Also, a published author. The book called How to Dress an Egg, uh, super highly full star rated on Amazon and getting a ton of buzz with his co-author, Peter Kaminsky. We're learning and mastering, although he doesn't love the word, surprising and simple ways to cook dinner. Back to the shrimp, Ned. I'm sorry. You gently cook them, chef. The analogy for that one is like if you're in a car and you're going 90 miles an hour, it's kind of hard to hit the brakes and stop. But if you're going 15 miles an hour, it's really, really easy. So, you know, shrimp cooks fast. They're small and and they just cook really fast. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the advice people give is cook them over high heat, whether you're on a barbecue or in a saute pan uh, or in boiling water, hard hard boiling water. And so uh, they're going to get to their you know the, the open time, like the moment when shrimp are at their juiciest, springiest. Because shrimp, you know, it's a, I think shrimp is I, this word is a little funny, but I. I think shrimp are a lot about mouthfeel, a lot yes. about what it feels like when you bite down on the shrimp. Oh, I agree. And yeah, and so, you know, the space in between a little too raw and overcooked, it's just a really small window. So by reducing the temperature uh, at which they're cooking, you increase the amount of time you have where they're at that juicy, springiest uh, quality. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, the, the, the gently cooking is a, just way of making it easier to succeed. That's See, the idea. And I just think that seems very reasonable, right? Like slow it yeah. down and you'll you'll get you'll garner a perfect shrimp. I can't wait to make your spicy shrimp peanut cilantro and mint. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I love that one. Oh, yes. That's I love that summer. One. That one also I think is a nice illustration of um I mean, I think, you know, the way we give the basic recipe and then we give several different ways to do it. One thing I hope is that when people use the book, they'll see, oh, you just, oh, you do it this way, or you do it that way, you do it that way, and it gives them the freedom to be creative in a zillion ways that they want. Yes. You know, and so my wife doesn't like cilantro, but she loves mint, and she loves tarragon. So, mm. like, she would make that dish, and she would change the herbs. Or somebody doesn't like peanuts, but they like hazelnuts. Use hazelnuts. You know, whatever. It's um, so interesting so. to me. You talk about food from a very artistic standpoint. And that is no, about, no doubt your, um, your skill set, your talent, your sculpture and art background and master's degree and all those impressive things. But you really do take a very artistic approach. Okay, before I let you go, can you talk chocolate and cream, please? I do love chocolate. And uh, I, I really love chocolate with salt. And uh, I like it with burned bread. I mean, maybe the the fun thing to talk about in that chapter, my favorite, one of my favorite yes. recipes book actually, and that we do at the restaurant is a dish that's with uh, ganache or, you know, chocolate sauce in American English. Uh, a soft, stinky cheese could be an apoise, could be a camembert mm. that's definitely been tempered and, you 
know, do yes. a little runny. And then bread that's been burnt. And I don't mean toasted, like burnt, like charred black. Not all over, but, you know, pretty pretty thoroughly in this photograph in the book that you can see that represents that. There's some sort of harmony or symphony or whatever that happens between the flavor of that char and the stinky cheese and then the bitter and a little bit sweet creamy chocolate that is so special and then flakes mm. all over the place mm. um it's a terribly and this is a you know if i if i could take the silverware away in my restaurant and everybody just eat with their hands and get all messy and i, I love messy eating <laughs> and this dish is absolutely that when yes. we serve it at the restaurant we uh we serve it with uh, fresh napkins for everybody. Huh, uh, so and with the advice that you can, you just can't, you could can try to eat it with a fork and a knife, but you kind of can't. You just have to get in there with the bread and mm. scoop and schmear and whatever. I, so. I almost licked the page when I just turned to it. <laughs> um, and mark my word, it'll be the first thing I make uh, from your book. Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, looks incredible. Okay, chocolate, cheese, and charred bread. Worth the purchase of the cookbook alone. Yes, the first release from Chef Ned Baldwin, entitled How to Dress an Egg, uh, co-written by the great Peter Kaminsky, of course. Uh, This book is destined to be a classic. Let me just put it out there. And it is visionary, and it is all about technique, but it is doable and approachable. And for a new generation of home cooks looking to be inspired, that's you and me. This is how you add to your arsenal in the kitchen. So please don't miss it. It's a stunning book full of extraordinary wisdom. Once again, written by Ned Baldwin of uh, Houseman, New York, uh, of much acclaim. The restaurant um, open for outdoor dining now for those of you who are close enough. Lucky you. Um, You can follow Ned's continued culinary escapades at Houseman Restaurant on social and HousemanRestaurant.com, of course. Um, kudos to you and congratulations, Chef. Um, the book is um, it's stellar, really. And, uh, and I'm very grateful, thank you, that you shared your passion so generously. So uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate Pleasure. it. We do have big names on this show. And yes, they do share their secrets, making you a better cook every weekend. Don't touch your dial. There's lots more fabulous food when we come back. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Delivering the world of food directly to your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen here. We're having a wine and cheese party. And yes, you're invited. I am delighted that this gentleman, whose knowledge of cheese spans far and wide, is once again gracing this show. Charles Duke is the managing director of the Americas for the French Dairy Board. He oversees the French Cheese Board as well. And we are recognizing National Wine and Cheese Day coming up on July 25th, celebrating the ultimate pairings of cheeses of Europe 
and beautiful wines. It is a delicious respite from difficult times, no doubt. And I believe that quality cheese is an essential part of living the good life. I am delighted to have Charles Duke with us live. I'm glad to have you, Charles. I hope you're healthy and well. Hello, Sasha. Thank you. I am. <laughs> good. I hope you are too. Everything's fine. Thank yes, you. thank you. Everything well here too, especially because I have cheese and wine is situated in front of me. Okay, let's, let's toast first. Uh, thank you for beautiful wine and beautiful cheese. Cheers to you. Cheers. Glass Cheers. in hand. Uh, where should we start? The brie is, I'm sure as all of your listeners know, is a very beautiful, soft, ripened, bloomy mm. rind cheese mm. uh, that has a white edible rind. And that's important. I've been to many parties where I see brie's and camemberts where everybody's kind of scooping the inside and you have this floppy rind that's kind of lays there, <laughs> left behind, and it's so sad because, you know, it's important to eat the rind. There's a lot of flavor there. There's a lot of texture. It's entirely uh, it's really edible. It, yes, it's, it's entirely edible, and it adds a, a contrast to the creamy, rich filling, if I may, right? And I love exactly. the rind. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So this rind in particular has those mushroomy undertones, it has mm. earthiness, it has a nice contrasting uh, uh, texture, like you mentioned, with yes. the inside, which is very creamy and buttery. Oh, and... and so we're going to start off with this Pure. Piece. Okay, so I, I've already eaten my entire piece of brie set, oh, set in oh. front of me. I know, I'm cheating. You didn't hear the mmms and the ahs? I happen to be a oh, brie man. lover, and I'll tell you, one of the best recipes I uh, use with brie... Charles, is a, a summer pasta where I pull apart a wedge of brie, rind and all, and I marinate it in olive oil with chopped garlic and chopped tomatoes and lots of fresh basil. And then you throw in a cooked pasta and the brie melts at, because the pasta is hot and the tomatoes sort of warm through and the olive oil is strewn throughout and the garlic is just very, you know, subtly blanched almost from the heat from the pasta. And it has mm-hmm. to be one of the most delicious things you've ever had. It's, it's delicious at room temperature. I call it picnic pasta, right? Because you just take it out uh, to wherever you're picnicking and dig in. Um, but a creamy, really beautiful quality French brie is essential here. And that's exactly what this is. And as for the yeah. pairing, if you would. Well, as far as the pairing, we're, we're pairing this with a Beaujolais. Mm. So a Beaujolais is a light red. Yes. Um, I think that if we were to taste, I'm going to taste a piece of the uh, very creamy Brie. And that Beaujolais, which I've been sipping, it, it has enough beautiful acid to cut through the richness of the brie, but it's not so heavy that it takes away from the mouthfeel and that coat your mouth with velvet wallpaper beauty that you get from a French brie. And so the, the contrast for me, it's not particularly tannic. Uh, it, it's just lovely and no. fruity and light. Exactly. It doesn't neither of them overpower the other. Exactly. You, yeah. You, the Beaujolais obviously, you know, cleanses your palate, like you said. But at the same time, you still have the creaminess and the um, the mushroomy. It even adds a layer of like earthiness. Yeah, you that, you uh, get a little umami. Yeah, definitely so. Right. All right. In the interest of time, can we move on to the yes. Comte. So we're going to go on to the Comte. So the Comte is a very big wheel 
of tea that usually weighs around 88 pounds. Yes. And what's interesting with Aconte is, you know, they're aged in these underground forts uh, that were from the Napoleonic era. And when you go in there, you see these galleries and galleries of just contes that are that are aging inside from from floor to ceiling, and it's just the most amazing thing. And this particular cheese is interesting too because it, its aromas and its flavors have been um, described by a flavor wheel that has approximately 128 different characteristics. So each of them is different, even though it might come from the same uh, production facility, et cetera, but each of them is different. And this cheese is a hard cheese, obviously, compared to the um, to the brie, but it's still malleable. It's still flexible. And it has, this one tastes a little bit, mine tastes uh, like it's plastic, it's buttery. Mm, I get um, some hazelnut. Like yeah, that, that lo- lovely, nutty, toasty kind of flavor. I happen to love Conte. And we should spell it for those that uh, will go and request it from their cheesemonger. It's C-O-M, as in Mary, T-E. Um, and by the way, my cheeses have been out for a little while. I don't believe that cheese should be served excessively cold. Um, and I think the Correct. flavor comes out, right, when we serve them closer to room temperature. Yes, yes. I always advise at least 30, 40 minutes uh, before you're serving them Good. to take them out of the fridge. Charles, I can't wait to have you back. More cheese, more wine. Cheers to you. Please stay healthy and safe. Thank you, Chef. You do the same. Thanks Thank so you. much. Very, very gratefully. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I hope that you sharpened your cooking skills and that I pleased your palate and that you'll tune in next weekend for lots more fabulous food. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for this week. And I hope that you heard the start of this show, my love letter to ceviche. Well, I found another favorite recipe during this hour that I just had to share. It's a super simple ceviche that you make with the bold flavor of your favorite salsa. It's a really quick fix to enliven a simple ceviche. It's really lean and clean, makes a very healthy lunch or dinner. You could serve it on top of greens or with tortilla chips. And I'm posting the recipe now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a friend and a fan and check it out. I will meet you Monday, 4 o'clock Pacific time, live for my cook-along, my weekly Facebook live. We're having breakfast for dinner. You won't want to miss it. And I'll catch you at chefjamie.com where I'm always serving up seconds. My daily dish, once again, on social at Chef Jamie Gwen. I thank you for listening. I hope that you stay healthy and safe. And please continue to eat well.